0: Good morning. Our passage today is Deuteronomy chapters 29 through 31. And the question that I want to explore today is this. Did Moses finish well? Did he run the good race? Did he fight the good fight? In this passage, we find Moses near the end of his life. He's wrapping up his entire life's work and he's preparing Israel for the transition not only to a new leader, Joshua, but also for the next step in their journey with God, their God, the God of Israel. It's almost time for Israel to enter the promised land, finally. Now, to truly understand whether Moses finished well, we need to take a brief look back at where he has been. Where did he start? What was his task? And how far has he gotten? Now certainly it's important to remember that he is a Hebrew. He was born the son of a Jewish slave. Soon after, he was adopted into the Egyptian royal family. So even before he could walk, he went from slavery to royalty. And his upbringing as a member of the Egyptian royal family played a huge part in forming his identity. After he was grown up, he saw something. He saw an Egyptian beating on his fellow Jew. So what did he do? Did he turn the guy in to the authorities? No, he decided to take matters into his own hands. He killed the Egyptian. And then he tried to cover it up. That didn't work out so well. So what did Moses do? He fled Egypt, the only home he's ever known, so that he could avoid being tried and most likely executed for his crime. Now, when he was away, he got married, and he started a family. Now, at every step in Moses' life up until this point, God is absolutely working. But until now, God has not called Moses to a specific task. And when God did call him, Moses was, to say the very least, reluctant. And can you blame him? He wasn't a strong public speaker. He was in self-imposed exile from Egypt because he was a murderer. And the rest of God's people were crying for justice in Egypt, in slavery. But God chose him to stand up to Pharaoh and to lead Israel out of Egypt. So he went. And as he went, God was still with him. Now, the task that God gave Moses was a very clear task. It was huge. And if Moses was successful, it would be a milestone in the history of God's people. So it was a very difficult task, but it wasn't difficult to understand. And at every step along the way, God was still with Moses. He was with him through every plague in Egypt. He was with Moses when he led Israel across the Red Sea without a boat. He was with Moses when the entire nation was wandering in the desert, hungry, and they needed something to eat. And God was with Moses on Mount Sinai, giving him the Ten Commandments. So Israel's journey from Egypt to the Promised Land was very long and very difficult. They spent 40 years with Moses in the desert. So Moses' job of being their leader was also very long and a very difficult task. The people he was leading, they complained a lot. And they were frequently unfaithful and disobedient to God. But with God's help, they made it. So here they are on the edge of the Jordan, getting ready to enter the Promised Land. For Israel is a nation... It's the end of one chapter and the beginning of a very exciting time in their lives as a people. But for Moses, his journey is just about done. So let's take a look at what's happening in the text this morning in chapter 29. First we see in verses 2 through 8 that Moses asks all of Israel to gather together. And he reminds them of how God provided for them at every step in their journey. Now, why did they need this reminder? First of all, because people are forgetful. But also, the people that he was talking to were not the same people who were with him when they left Egypt. That was their parents' generation. This is literally a whole new generation. And they needed to know and be reminded of what God had done for them in those 40 years. In verses 9 through 18, he gives instructions about what God expects Israel to do. But he isn't just speaking to the men, he isn't just speaking to the leaders, and he isn't even just speaking to the Israelites. We see in verses 10 and 11, all of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives, and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood. And carry your water. So in the group that's assembled before Moses, we have all the women, all the children, and all the foreigners together with the men. Then we see in verses 14 and 15, it says, I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. We see in chapter 29 that Moses is very clear to emphasize that the renewal of God's covenant with Israel is not just about the people who are standing there at that particular point in time. And it isn't even just for Israel. It's for all the generations that will follow. And it's for all the foreigners and for everyone who chooses to obey the Lord. So God clearly is providing for his people. But the covenant goes both ways. What does God expect the people to do as they enter into this covenant? Let's look at verse 14. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today, whose heart turns away from the Lord our God, to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. God is reminding them of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Being in a covenant with God means that God is God. God is your God. He's your provider. He's your deliverer. But that's not all. He also reminds the people not only of what he expects them to do, but he reminds them that there will be consequences if they're disobedient. We see in verses 20 and 21. The Lord will never be willing to forgive them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will fall on them. And the Lord will blot out their names from under heaven. The Lord will single them out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster, according to all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. So what are the consequences? Curses and disaster in their own lifetime. So the stakes are pretty high. But that's not all. Take a look at verses 22 and 24. Your children who follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur. Nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to this land? Why this fierce, burning anger? So not only... Will Israel's disobedience result in curses and disaster for the people? The very land itself will be cursed. Now remember what land we're talking about. This is the promised land. The land that's supposed to be flowing with milk and honey. And if the land is cursed, it will be a witness to the later generations and to all the nations. So here's what I see the point is of chapter 29. God is renewing his covenant with his people we see in verse 4 that his people don't have minds to understand ears to hear or eyes to see but they are still God's people so here's the question why would God persist in keeping a special special covenant relationship with Israel go back to verses 14 and 15 I'm making this covenant with this oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. So it's not just about God's relationship with the people who are standing in front of Moses that day. It's about all the generations that will follow. And it's about God showing his faithfulness to the generations to come, even to us today. In chapter 30, God reiterates what Israel needs to do to hold up their end of the covenant. He says in verse 10 of chapter 30, Obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So here's God's command. Obey the Lord, keep his commands, And turn to him with all your heart and soul. When it's difficult, turn to him. When you mess up, turn to him. If you commit murder, don't be afraid to turn to him. So Israel has a very clear choice. And they do have a choice. They can choose to obey or they can choose to rebel. In verses 15 and 16, it says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. And again in verses 19 and 20. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, That I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Why? So that you and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the covenant that God is setting out that day includes a very clear choice for Israel, life or death. And God also very clearly describes what the reward will be for making the right choice. The reward is simply this. It's the reason why they wanted to get out of Egypt in the first place. To be free. To be God's people. Not living under the domination of a society that doesn't worship the Lord. It's what they cried out to God to provide for them when they were still in slavery. Freedom to worship him. Wasn't that the whole point? So in chapter 31, the focus is back on Moses. We see that he is preparing to step down from leading Israel. But he isn't going to leave them empty-handed. He's preparing Joshua to take his place look at verses 1 through 3 in chapter 31. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you as the Lord said. Now at this point I wonder how Israel felt about the prospect of losing Moses as their leader. Think about it. he is the only leader that these people have ever known. And what did they think about Joshua? Did they think Joshua was ready to be their leader? Consider this. In verse 6, Moses tells all the people, be strong and courageous. In verse 7, Moses tells Joshua specifically, be strong and courageous. And again, to Joshua in verse 8, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, remember who Joshua is. Back when Moses sent out one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to spy out the land of Canaan, only two of them came back and were unintimidated by the people who were living there. Only two of them came back and gave a good report. That was Joshua and Caleb. So this makes it all the more remarkable that God tells him repeatedly, be strong, be courageous. It's kind of like telling Ray Lewis on a Sunday, be aggressive. So what do we see Moses do? He's at the end of his life, he's at the end of his journey, leading Israel through the wilderness, and they make it all the way to the Promised Land. Did he start picking out a condo for his retirement? Did he check his stock portfolio, make sure he had enough left to retire? Maybe he pulled out his bucket list those things he was saving for the very end no what he did was he made sure that there was someone ready to replace him after he was gone in verses 9 through 13 he gives specific instructions to the Levitical priests concerning how the law should be handled so even at the very end of his life he still focused on that task that God gave him when Israel was still enslaved in Egypt Let's look at verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting, where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came, and they presented themselves at the tent of meeting. In the verses that follow, God speaks to Moses, and he gives him a sense of what will happen to Israel next, in the next step of their journey about their continued unfaithfulness and how God will hide his face from him. God also gives Moses a song to write down and to teach to Israel. So here's what God says in verse 19 about this song. Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it. Why? So that it may be a witness for me against them. Now, the song is in chapter 32. We're not going to talk about it today. Um, but I can say this. It's definitely not the kind of song that they're going to want to sing when they're drawing water. Um, it's not the kind of song that's going to make them feel all good inside about them and God and, and their relationship with him. And it certainly isn't going to win Moses any popularity contest with the Israelites. So in verse 23, We see that God commissions Joshua. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. So we see at the end of Moses' life, he is still faithful to God, obeying his instructions leading Israel, and preparing them for a new leader. If there was any little part of him that was bitter about not being able to retire in the promised land, he never showed it to them. So I think the answer to the question, did Moses finish well? Absolutely. Because he stayed strong to the end, and he didn't give up, even when he messed up even when there really wasn't anything in it for him. So here's the challenge for us today. What will it mean for each one of us to finish well? None of us knows, except for God, how many days we have on this earth. But we can all take the time to consider while we're here and to try to understand, what is God calling me to do? What positions of responsibility And leadership is he asking me to fill in our, maybe in my family or maybe in my workplace or my church or my school or my community. And once we each have that clear calling from God, we need to follow Moses' example and be obedient, even to the very end of our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for your servant, Moses. Thank you for his faithfulness, even against terrible odds. Thank you that he never forgot that you were with him in every step of his journey. God, I pray that we can do as well as he did, and that you will be with us each day. In Jesus' name, amen.